What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the guest show on the Active Life Podcast. Today, I have two guests on the show, Aaron and Orion, the founders of Life at Beverage Company. The reason why today's episode happened is because I have a ton of admiration for the way that they run their company. And recently, they both experienced the wildfires of Northern California. Aaron lost his home. Orion was fortunate his home was saved. And on this episode, we talk about the resiliency, the grit, the mindset that is necessary to be able to endure something like a wildfire in the middle of a pandemic that affects the largest consumer of your product, gyms, in a way that is disproportionate to every other business in the world, and to still be able to make it through, to do good things, and to stay purpose-driven. It was a eye-opening podcast for me. These are the kinds of people who I want to be associated with. They're the kinds of people who I want to support. And I think that you're going to get a lot out of this episode on how to create the kind of mind and life that you want on purpose. All through listening to two guys who started a beverage company. That's why I like talking to them. I'm going to get you to the show now. We're going to get to the show in a minute. What I want to talk about first is the new Active Life Enhanced Assessment. We've been getting a lot of questions from you about what do I do when it bothers my knee when I squat, but not when I do anything else. And you're not necessarily ready to work with us as a one-on-one client, and we totally understand that. We've gotten hundreds of questions just like the one I just said. My knee hurts when I do this. What should I do about it? And... The honest answer is always, it depends, and we need to ask many more questions to give you the best answer. We decided that the best way for us to help you with the thorough answer to those questions is to develop a product, a service that can help you. So we came up with the Active Life Enhanced Assessment. This is a four-day process in which you go through the similar assessment to what our one-on-one clients go through. You get to talk to one of our staff members about what it is that they found on your assessment, and they will give you instruction on how to overcome the aches and pains that have been plaguing you for a long time without going to the doctor or missing the gym, if it's appropriate for you to do that. So if you're interested in jumping into our Active Life Enhanced Assessment, go ahead, check out the link in the story notes, the show notes, excuse me, and we'll see you there. Welcome, Orion and Aaron from Fit Aid, Life Aid Beverage Company. I appreciate you guys coming back on the podcast as it pertains to Aaron. Orion, your first time on. Thank you for joining us. Doc, thanks for having us. Thank appreciate you for it. having us. You know, Marisa's in the office right now. She was just uh, raving about your uh, program that she just went through. Oh, yeah? Mar- she, she enjoyed the seminar then? She did. She loved it. Outstanding. I love to hear that. That's, that's yeah. always the goal. And you know, yeah. usually you hit it, but not always. Awesome. Yeah, great job. Thank you. So what I thought would be really cool to discuss with you guys today is the way that you each and, and as a company at LifeAid seem to be both big enough to have an impact and nimble enough to innovate and pivot aggressively when necessary exactly where everyone seems to need it. And, and, and that that's the case. It seems like personally for yourselves and certainly in business with when last time we were talking, you were running the, the new program where if you were a member of a box, a CrossFit box and it closed, you could order your fit aid through fit aid direct and you guys would support the gym that they were from, which is awesome. And now it's happening again and you're doing it in Europe with their second lockdowns. And mm-hmm. perhaps that was not any at any time more obvious to me than when I saw that, unfortunately, you guys dealt with the wildfires that happened in Northern California this year. And your house was gone. And everything that you guys build in that area is gone. But you... Not everything. Not everything. Not everything. I apologize for misspeaking. You just seem to be so nimble and, and ready to take the next step. Where does that come from? Uh, it's a good question. Uh, I think it's just part of, uh, you know, 
our our DNA to start uh, a business uh, and to jump from you know uh, many years ago we we moved away from being salaried employees and then our own respective business owners. Um, uh, you know, just being nimble as part of a, a mindset shift uh, that, you know, it was innate, me personally speaking. Um, I'm not the type of guy that uh, spreadsheets uh, everything out over the next five or 10 years and is so rigid that I can't, you know, I can't uh, move away from from that. It's just, that's more my wife than, than myself, actually, which is funny because I look at spreadsheets all day. But me personally, I don't live my life like that. Mm-hmm. And what about you, Aaron? Well, I mean, look, you got to adapt or die, right? I mean, if you're not nimble in business and in life, then there's, there's always shit that happens, right? There's always unexpected events. I was reviewing my notebook as I do, you know, periodically about once a month. And I went back to January. So this is pre-fire, pre-pandemic. And I, I had written something down. I have no idea what the context for it was, but it was just right there on the page. And it said, uh, stimulus plus reaction equals results. Stimulus plus reaction equals results. And that was really interesting to me because it's like, you know, we can't always control the stimulus. You can't control a pandemic. You can't control a wildfire burning down, you know, your property and home, but you can control how you respond to it and how you respond to it is, is the re- that feeds into the result you're going to get. So if you're going to be just a straight victim mindset, then it's just stimulus equals result, right? Um, because you're not taking any action around that. It's just like, woe is me. But you know, we've never taken that approach in, in any aspect of our life. So when shit hits the fan is when really the rubber meets the road. And, you know, are these philosophies of life, are these dogmas that, you know, we preach, are they legit or not? And if they're legit, then you have to live your life, whether good, you know, perceived good or bad, I say in quotes, because now I'm getting to a point like, is it or even good or bad anymore? It's just shit's happening and, you know, we're you know, reacting to it and how we choose to react drives the results. What, what about being in a partnership makes that different than being able to make decisions for your future on your own? <laughs> well, <laughs> Not always easy. It's, it's very much like a, a, a marriage, you know, it's very much like a marriage. Well, so any married people out there know exactly what that's like. I mean, you know, you, you've, uh, when you're with somebody for a long period of time, you know, there, there's the, there's major advantages, uh, of, you know, knowing people and in, in all aspects and all different scenarios and highs and lows. And, uh, there's, you know, comfort level that, that develops from that. And, uh, uh it's less easy to get trust. derailed when you're working in a partnership. Right. You and, say less, uh, did you say less easy, Orion? Yeah, less easy. I mean, it's, uh, you know, you have these competing forces and, uh, you know, you look at even the current election and landscape, you know, the, you know, you have these very ex- competing forces, but landing in the middle sometimes is, is for the best result. And, you know, that's kind of how I view I stayed my true to my principles during the election, voted libertarian as I have for the last 20 years. He, I, he, he voted Dem for the first time. Are you so. calling me out my political <laughs> I thought you were going to be very public about this. For the, for the, for, for the first yeah. time. Interesting. Well, I mean, I live in California. My voice and vote don't really matter. So I'm more of a protest voter myself. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not a huge, uh, I'm not a huge uh, Trump fan. I don't know where that um, passion comes from, certainly, but certainly as a more uh, traditional, you know, uh, not conservative, because I'm, I'm a social libertarian, I'm a fiscal conservative type of guy. Yeah, yeah I just get, get behind uh I'm not a big populist type of guy. I identify very, very similarly to that. I don't know why we can't just let people be whoever they want to be and not overspend at the same time. That doesn't. And, uh, you know, both parties are very guilty of that. Certainly recently. Yeah, for sure. So when, when I think about partnerships, I'm always impressed when people are able to focus on a, on, on, on a, an objective and continue to move towards it, especially when things kind of throw them left or throw them right and their vision stays aligned. 
all of the partnerships that I've been in that have broken down when they've broken down have been because of what I would consider my inability to express the vision for the direction of the company that I had. And I'm, I've come to learn that at least for myself until I learn how to do it better, I need to either be the person who sets the vision and then allows other people to execute it, or I need to allow other people to set the vision and tell me where I need to execute on their behalf. How do you guys make decisions about who is setting the vision, who is executing and, and when? I'd say, you know, <clears throat> our vision is very much a collaborative, um, you know, ideation. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, as different as Aaron and I, we both are fire starters, not fire tenders. And so having a great team, being part of that team and great team to kind of uh, hand off that vision. I think both of us are, are successful doing that. But, uh, you know, we, we've always taken the stance like we're in equal partnership. We have the equal percentage ownership of the company. company. And, uh, I, you know, you hear in business school, like that's never the way to start a business. Someone should be majority owner. Someone should be minority owner. That's never been our, our approach. And I think part of that is based on our ownership structure. So we do things by consensus and like any sort of partnership or any marriage over a long period of time, you know when to press and you know when your gut tells you you're right and to really get in front of their face and uh, plead plead your case. And you know when to back off because uh, there was a compromise in your favor the last time you had a, a strong disagreement, which it, it, strong is, is too strong of a word where there's not too many strong disagreements. That certainly does arise. Almost 90% it used of the to time arise I'm a lot right. more often. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, my gut always tells me I'm right. <laughs> Shocking. Shocking you would say that. That's okay. My, my gut finds me in the same place. Same place. I'm, I'm, I've never. I mean, Go ahead. Yeah. I, I was just going to comment that, like, look, so often in this country, you know, we're sedating ourselves, whether it's with social, TV, medication, whatever, because we're trying to avoid pain and not put in the work, right? At the end of the day, to be successful in a relationship, a partnership, a marriage and business in life, you either have to put in, you have to endure the pain today or much more pain down the road. And what's that pain? That pain can be an uncomfortable, uncomfortable conversation. That that pain can be, uh, you know, setting and holding people to a certain level of expectations when you'd rather just be friends and friendly with everybody and have everyone like you. You know, there, there's always that pain that needs to to be endured and pushed through. And so to make the decision, and it takes a while, and you know, going kind of having some scenarios play out where you're dealing with a lot more pain or even suffering because then you start telling yourself a story about it in the long run that you realize, you know what, it's a lot easier to nip things in the bud early and deal with the short-term pain and therefore you can move forward. And a lot of times that pain shows up in the form of obstacles, you know, obstacles in relationships, obstacles in business. And instead of trying to avoid those, we deal with them head on. And when we deal with them, we know that, hey, this might be a nice bump in the road or cause some issues, but coming out of that, we're going to be a lot better place because it's opportunities for growth. Well, so when, when you guys get hit by, Orion, earlier you mentioned that not everything was lost in the wildfires. What, what, was, what specifically was lost for you guys and what was not that you were referring to? Well, I mean, um, the uh, amazing property and estate that Aaron spent 16 uh, years of his life, the amount of time his eldest daughter was born working and tending to the land, you know, that that was um, lost. Its current, its current iteration was lost in the fire and we had many other friends uh, upper Bonnie Dune area was completely singed, uh, and a lot of people lost their homes. I think over a thousand structures uh, were lost. I live up in the mountains in lower Bonnie Dune. Still, he's at 2,200 uh, altitude, uh, feet altitude, and I'm about 1,500. And, uh, you know, after a couple days of uh, fire, the fire wasn't nearly a wind-driven fire as it was uh, that he was dealing with. He escaped from uh, and, uh, we were able, uh, a lot of our neighbors banded together, about 50 of us. And we went back up there and we really 
Doug Lines, and we saved Lower Bonnie Doon, which I view as the heart of Bonnie Doon because the church up there was spared, uh, the school was spared, and uh, Most Beauregard, <laughs> Beauregard Winery uh, and Tasting Room was spared uh, as well. So, you know, if, if, if those three things were gone, the tremendous sense of community that we have up there in the mountains, it, it would be a lot, there would be a disbursement of the residents that have lived there for generations. And uh, it would, it would be hard for a lot of us to, to move back because there wouldn't be a sense of uh, community any longer. And thankfully uh, because uh, a lot of uh, resourceful and brave uh, neighbors took uh, the matters into their old own hand because Cal Fire was um, absent for the first four or five days. They were going to let it burn through and protect the UC. Uh, uh, the heart of the mountain has uh, been spared. Is that something that you organized? Is that something that you guys were spearheading? The effort, the effort to dig the lines and and, and save the area. Uh, well, we have resourceful neighbors, so we have our. Um, resident billionaire up there that happens to own a, uh, uh, a big equipment uh, company kind of as a side hustle up there. He was, he was, uh, you know, in charge of a lot of that. My, my neighbor, uh, a lot of ex firefighter or current firefighters are up there. And so I was, I was part of the brigade and, and helping, uh, you know, dig, uh, trent, uh, trenching and fi- fire breaks and, uh, buckets of water and, and that sort of thing. And, and these other guys, uh, who really knew what they were doing. I mean, they, they were, are the reason why, the, uh, hundreds of homes were, were spared. And I would love to hear if you guys are comfortable going there, what, what the initial thought is and, and how you make decisions about what to do next. And, and I'll give you some context for it. You talked about the victim mindset earlier, Aaron, that I, it's clear that neither of you have or, or are even comfortable being around. When something like a wildfire hits your area and your business is going through the, the worldwide pandemic, it services an industry that is maybe one of the hardest hit by the worldwide pandemic. There's a lot of good reason to just be like, all right, I don't know what to do right now. I have to just kind of sit this one out. That, that's not valuable but it would be understood if you did it. So what was the thought process that you go through where you're like, all right, well, the, the world is literally burning around me. And if it's not burning, it's dealing with a sickness. I'm going to do this first. Yeah, it was hard. You know, it was really hard. Um, one of the most challenging times of, of my life, uh, the first several days was just not knowing because, you know, I, I saw visible flames on each side of me. But in my mind, I said, well, there's a possibility like I haven't you know, it's like doubting Thomas, you know, until you put your hands in the wound, you just don't know. Maybe the house made it. And uh, I think it was day four into the fire. I finally made it back up through some some back roads. We got turned around by CHP, but just renegated up literally through fire on both sides of us, active fire. And when we got back towards my place, it, you know, it was pretty burned through already and, um, and ran into somebody that had been back there on a motorcycle. And I looked at him and he just started shaking his head I'm like, dude, how's it look? And he's like, it's all gone. And uh, that was tough because, you know, it was like, 17 years of my life into that place. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you know, I mean, it's material shit and all material things have a beginning and an end, you know? I mean, this desk we're sitting around, these walls, you know, a thousand years from now likely will not be here. They will all just be dust. Like by nature, the very definition of material things is that they have a beginning, a creation point and an end point. You know, we all return back. So it really got me thinking about just the inaccurate thinking that I had had, you know, up to that point in my life that if, there, there's certain things that have variability and, you know, the stock market and all this craziness in the world. But one thing that's going to always have permanence is my property, because that's, you know, that's where we put our blood, sweat and tears. And I had, you know, my parents live in there and the kids live in there and their kids are going to live there and we're going to build these houses so they can have not go into debt, buying a house and have a place to live and 
continue and we're growing our own food and we have our own well and septic tanks. And if shit hits the fan in the world, it really doesn't matter because we're behind, you know, our lock gate a mile down a dirt road. We're off the grid. I got my guns. Yeah. I got my, you know, silver coins and I'm like, I'm ready. You know, I'm ready for the end of the world. Like, not that I'm thinking that way, but I'm just ready. I'm totally prepared for it, but it was inaccurate. I wasn't prepared for a fire that got to 2000 degrees and melted metal. You know, that that's what the reality I was dealing with. But what it, the, I think the, the realization that came out of there is that the only real permanence in life that we we have are very things that we think aren't permanent or things that we, we may discount that don't have much of an effect, like the inputs we put in our mind and the thoughts that those create, the words that come out of our mouth, even like if we're just talking, you know, in, in private, you know, definitely are, you know, some actions or actions that may not seem like they mean much, but all of those set you know, our soul, our energy, you know, our force, whatever you want to call it on a certain trajectory. And that trajectory is eternal. You know, when the body dies, we know that something continues on. There's some type of an energy that continues on. I think that energy goes on, is on a trajectory. So, you know, life for me, the realization was like, wow, I, I, I've always been guarded about it. And I need to be even more aware, more conscious of what inputs I'm letting in, what thoughts I allow to, to, to ponder on, to fester, what words that come out of my mouth, you know, and be just ultra conscious of that. Cause that's the only thing that's permanent. All the other stuff is bullshit. All the other stuff, you know, we, we pretend is permanent, but it's absolutely not. It's absolutely not. It's like you get a brand new car and you're so happy and you're keeping it clean all the time and you're so conscious of it. Well, you fast forward 10 years later, that new car just doesn't have the appeal anymore. You're like, okay, you know, what you thought was always going to be this nice, shiny, pretty thing. It's just not the case. And I'm sure I know that a lot of uh, friends and Aaron included, you know, through this traumatic uh, uh, event, uh, have a, a a new appreciation of what things they prioritize in their life. You know, when you lose most of it, mm-hmm. um, what I prioritized when I was first doing my first, uh, uh, uh getting all the uh, shit out of my house, preparing for it to burn is I, uh, the best move that I made during this whole event was I didn't even go in the closet to get, uh, clothes. What I did is just went to the, uh, hamper and, uh, grabbed everyone's hamper and put that in the car into the cops. <laughs> I figured those clothes matter. Yeah, the stuff that had recently been worn. I like that. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate you going there. I can tell that it makes you a little bit emotional to do it. And Aaron, I, I appreciate you doing that. How long, or long is probably the wrong way to, to ask it, but one of the things that one of my friends, I'm not sure if you know Nick Sorrell or not from Brute Strength, but one of the things he says that I think is really smart is you need to be able to create a gap between emotion and reason, meaning we have this emotion and then I, like you were discussing before, taking the action that follows it with, with some logic and with some reason. And there are some things like we had a bad day at the office. It's, it's, it's fairly easy when you've had enough bad days at the office and enough good days at the office to be like, oh shit, that was just a bad day. We'll be fine tomorrow. Something like this is something that you haven't experienced before that you weren't prepared for in both of your cases, whether you lost your house or not, Orion, I can imagine that that entire experience is somewhat life-changing. So was the, was the gap between the emotion you felt in the beginning and the reason that came from the action thereafter longer, the same or totally different than, than other moments? I'll, I'll jump in. I, I'd say, uh, it's until you get used to being around fire, like five feet in front of you, it's all emotion and less reason as you know, that week progressed and you started to understand how to deal with the fire, then you can take a step back and have a more reason sort of approach and not be in, in the moment of, you know, facing a wall of uh, uh, flames. Uh, I would say, you know, the reason I went back uh, at six in the morning, the next day is, um, a, I knew my, uh, my neighbors had stayed up there. So my, my band of, uh, brothers were up there and I wanted to get, uh, back and be, I wasn't going to let it in my house, uh, burn without a, you know, without putting up, uh, a, a, a fight. Um, so that, that was just innate. I knew I had to be up there even more so than protecting my home, knowing that 
I had neighbors and friends up there. Uh, I just had a strong impulse to go up there and do whatever, whatever I could for, for my neighbors go, go back to the amazing community up there. It's like, it's worth fighting for. And that, you know, I know that Aaron would have been up there the same thing had, you know, uh, the whole time of his house didn't torch and he did go up there and he, he did help fire neighbors for a day or two as well. But, uh, and uh, I'll tell you what, after the fire and I, we came back down and it was weeks before we were allowed to get back up there. Um, it was, I had PTSD. I, I wanted to get back up there and, you know, uh, it, it was, uh, I had never, I, I, I imagined that, you know, people in the military and, and going through warfare, you know, imparts a similar, you know, set of emotions that I hadn't felt, uh, in the past. I, th- I think that, you know, the, the question assumes that the emotional response is going to be the wrong or inaccurate response, right? And the logical response is, is going to be the right response. And I'll give you an example. And you, you know, having your background in training, know this as well as anyone. We, we touch a hot stove as a child. We don't have to think, oh, this shit, this is hot. My hand's burning and move it. Our nervous system, our autonomic nervous system kicks in and it's reflexive that we remove it. That's the right move, right? So I think the key is, shortening that gap where training yourself that an immediate and emotional, a reactive response is actually the right response. You know, so for me, it's was very much like, okay, is the family okay? You know, keep, you know, keep my parents in town, you know, reassure the kids. Like I didn't necessarily grab the right shit when I was up there. I mean, talk about looking, I mean, I was looking at 150 foot walls of fire coming. I mean, you never seen anything like it. I've never seen, I've been in fire multiple times. We had multiple fires up there over the years since I've lived there. My parents' house had burned down previously and I, I was right there for that. So I wasn't uh, a virgin to, you know, this fire situation, but I was definitely had never been in it when the flames were that big and that consuming and like, okay, you know, what do we do here? And and, you know, most of the reaction, I did a couple of things that turned out to be, you know, lifesaver. One, one of our tractors, our skid steer, which, which does 90% of the work on the property was sitting right by the treehouse that we just finished. Cause we just finished digging a, a, a septic tank in. And as we're watching the wall of fire, we climb up to the top of the treehouse, and I'm just looking at the whole ridge, just burning in these hundred foot, 150 foot beautiful trees just going up like matchsticks as the flames are coming towards us. And I'm like, Oh shit. I mean, this is, this is the real deal. And we hop back in the car to go grab a bag. And right when I hopped in, I jumped back out and told my wife point the lights over here of the car. And I hopped in the tractor and drove it away from the treehouse and put it right in the middle of our building pad, which is the big blank pad on the top of the mountain and left literally coming back up there the entire property is destroyed the tree houses brand new tree houses gone the water tanks are gone the fucking the houses are gone the outdoor kitchen's gone places that had hardscape all around it for 50 feet were melted but the one thing that survived right in the middle was that tractor which is going to be essential in the rebuild process like moving you know all the debris around and all the trees that i've downed and, and everything so it's like you know, there's certain little blessings that happen. And, and part of that is just training your body how to react. And I think, you know, some of the stuff we talked about in the past, you know, morning routines, mindset exercises, good nutrition, you know, uh, uh, keeping your body in good shape, like all of these things come into play, keep your body in good shape and, 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 and eat well. Why? Well, maybe some psycho while you're walking home tonight, like just happened to our friend up in San Francisco yesterday, attacks you and tries to rob you well i'd rather be in good shape and have a little bit of defense training for that situation than to be some fat fucker and and not have any sense of 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 training whatsoever so the more we can train our body the more that emotional that reactive response can be the right response and save our ass when we need it yeah one of the things that i like most about speaking with you aaron and i'm just getting to know you all ryan so i can't say this yet but I, i imagine that if you guys are such close friends that it would be true also is that you 
are what I would consider world-class at challenging my beliefs, other people's beliefs in a way that allows me to think about them differently. You know, the, the idea of separating the, the gap between emotion and reason to me was very concrete. And the way that you just described it was creating a, you know, rewiring yourself so that the emotional response is the right one. I just want to make sure that I acknowledge that before we move on to anything else. I believe I appreciate totally made it up just now. So but, but thank you for challenging that. It's just, <laughs> no, but, 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 but that's what I mean. You know, it's, it's, I value people in my life who are prepared and, and looking for opportunities to challenge the things that I believe to be true so that I can become a better version of myself. And I feel like that's something that you do extremely well. I think going through what we just went through as a country in this election cycle and any business owners out there, I mean, you know, gym owners that, that were said you ha- you can open, you have to close, you can open, but people have to, you have to close again and going through this whole yo-yo. We need to challenge everything, mm-hmm. you know, challenge everything, all of our sacred cows, all of our belief systems. I mean, just like constantly challenge everything. Why do we think the way that we think, you know, am I totally full of shit? You know, sometimes, but you know, sometimes not like constantly challenging and that's why we get we make good business partners because we both love to debate and we love to be right and when you have that kind of passion and energy it makes really good discussions now the key that brings it together is we both want what's best you know for the company so when you're coming from that perspective then that challenge can can offer a really good debate i'll never forget man when we brought our our first private equity uh, partner on board um, after like six months, he, he said, you know, I got to tell you guys a story, you know, right after we made the investment, I got a little concerned because we had our first board meeting and you two were arguing about something. And, and he's been in so many businesses over the years. Usually when he sees that, he's like, Oh, major red flag. Like the partnership's going to break up or something. He didn't realize like, that's just how we are. Like we're constantly, you know, debating, you know, all kinds of different things and coming up with the best solution. So, you know, developing a little bit thicker skin and challenging everything and being okay with being challenged and like, you know, recentering your noose when you're, when you're wrong, you know, it happens all the time. And sometimes you need plant medicines to help that out. Sometimes you need a good business partner. Sometimes you need a great spouse that keeps you in check and just, you know, the right type of people around you that aren't just Yes, people, but people that you have alignment with, but also can can have a healthy debate and not be afraid to be, you know, labeled as one radical or the other that we've seen happen through this election cycle. It's just been the most disheartening thing that we're discouraging healthy dialogue and discord in this country. Well, that's because people have uh, way too thin skin uh, these days where uh, a, a thought that somehow challenges you can be so dangerous that you need to create a safe space from that thought is, is certainly a movement that we need to get away from as fast as possible. Absolutely. The Nazis did the exact same thing, you know, challenge that belief. And, you know, you're going, you're going to the, to the gas chamber. Like this is an unhealthy, dangerous place we're at. Now we may be to the far left on this type of thing, but it's the exact same sickness. It's the same sickness. You know, it's happening on both sides of the spectrum, the the far right and the far left. When the rational majority, the rational 80% of us that are in the middle or kind of right on some issues and left, on others, we can agree on most things. You know, we can agree on most things, but the the way that things are positioned, and then you know the 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 accusatory uh, 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 mob that comes after you, God forbid, if you don't follow the party line, is very scary. It is, and and I want to pivot a little bit to the fact that I, I believe. Feel free to challenge this belief too, by the way. I'm in for it. I believe that businesses are a reflection of their leadership, whether leader whether leadership wants to admit it or not. And what I mean by that is, I mean, I think that at the end of the day, your business is going to function in your image. And, and, and that means you're going to hire people who you believe fit the vision of where the company is supposed to go. And you're going to create and allow for directives that allow for the way that the company is going to go. And I wonder, because 
I, it, it's clear to me that you guys are both into developing your person and improving who you are and becoming a better version every single day if you can. How does that influence the way that you run LifeAid? Well, I, I, I would challenge you a little bit in that uh, building the business in our image, I would say we build the products in our image, but we hire uh, people that don't aren't, you know, in the same echo chamber that we live in that will challenge us getting back to what he's saying. So I want to di- dissect two different points there. The people that work in our team and how diverse that team is, is different than the products that we develop that are you know, in our image, essentially. Well, the alignment comes from alignment of character, the type of people, uh, from a, a core belief system. The, the diversity happens and we represent, you know, what, eight different countries here. We've got our oldest employees in their 70s, our youngest are in their early 20s, all religions, all races, like, you know, we have aggressive salespeople. We have very passive, quiet, you know, uh, people in other positions. So there's massive diversity as far as, you know, how people show up in the world. But what aligns us, uh, I believe, and what we really look for is, you know, kind of those those core values and, and that type of thing. And that is reflected in the products, the company, the team, like, hey, you, you might get, you know, like, you know, Lorelai and we love Lorelai was, our, you know, a general for us. She's a general, you know, and and not everybody's a general. You know, some people uh, are not on the battlefield. They're at home and they're, you know, typing out notices for sick leave and stuff like that. Like we you need everybody. You need generals and you need the desk jockey. And that's what makes, you know, an organization move forward. But that doesn't mean we're not in alignment. Well, and, and, and that's I think what, what, what I probably could have said better is I believe Orion that when you're recruiting staff, you're not looking for people to agree with you. You're not looking for people to live in your echo chamber. And, and that to me will create a company that allows for diversification of viewpoints to get to the end best result. And, and, and yeah, that's, we, want, we want, we want the best ideas to percolate to, you know, uh, the surface. And, uh, so if we're, only listening to our voices and our debate and only giving instruction. I mean, that's, you know, that's, we're going to make mistakes. Whereas, you know, we listen to our people, we hire the best people. They disagree with us. They have different worldviews, different outlooks, different belief in the direction of the, uh, uh, of the company. Then in, in that, you know, marketplace of uh, ideas, the best ones will percolate and, and provide, you know, the best course for us to take as a, as a, company. I would say that it's the same thing for our country. You know, I think Ray Dalio calls it like an, uh, an idea meritocracy or, or something along those lines. Like basically creating an environment where people feel empowered to speak up. Right. And, and say their, what's on their mind. And look, we may not always agree with it quite frequently, you know, quite often we don't like, it's like, okay, good. That's great. You know, taking all the inputs, the buck stops here as far as, Hey, we got to make the decision to move forward, right or wrong. And that's the key. I think with leadership is, you know, you got to make a decision. You got to move, you know, even if it's the wrong move, you just don't make Don't let the wrong move sink the ship. You know, you're always going to make wrong moves. I always love, you know, when we're looking at, you know, business plans or somebody and they have like, okay, here's what's going to happen. We're going to start here and we're going to come up here in sales or whatever. It's like, no, no, no. We all know that it. you might go up and then you go way down then you come back up again. And it's like a zigzag. Eventually you average it over time. It's up and to the right, hopefully. But uh, it's, it's not a clean straight line by any stretch of the imagination. So how, how do you, as the leaders of your team, create an environment of resiliency amongst your staff. I mean, I imagine that for your staff to be able to look at the way that you guys have pulled through all the things that we've been pulling through lately as a country and for you as a company and for you personally, they have to look at that and say, I, I don't know if I want to complain about this little thing that's bothering me today, but I imagine you guys would welcome that complaint. How, how is, how does, yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say uh, core value number uh, seven, which is written in all of our notebooks. I don't know if they can see it there. Yeah, seven. 
be solutions oriented, not problem focused. So we don't want anyone coming to us with a problem ever. You know, we don't have problems. First of all, we have challenges and whatever challenge they come with, think through the solution. You know, we, we're not the oracles here having solutions for everything. Think through the solution and come with a suggestion. It's like, okay, you know, that's great. Or yeah, that's great, but let's tweak it a little bit and make it even better. So, you know, empowering those, those people to have the diversity of opinion, empowering them to come forward and having the expectation that, look, we're not just uh, uh, an echo chamber for complaints, but, you know, if there's a challenge that you're having, think through the solution. Let's think through the best way forward. And often people solve their own issues uh, and their own challenges when they're given that type of autonomy to do so. Is that something that you guys find you have to consistently reinforce? Or is that something that once somebody's on the team at LifeAid, they're they're adopting it? Once they're around long enough, it takes a while. It takes a while. Uh, it's a it's a, an uh, it's an ongoing ideal that we have as a as a, a company. Does it always happen? No. And I you know with remote learning and not being in a collaborative office environment, which is another you know a casualty of COVID. Uh, you know, it's harder. There's certain things if you drill long enough, they always stick. You know, a lot of us, I, at least half the company, if not more, and if you haven't taken it, you know, we've taken this course called Procabulary. And it's all about, you know, our communication style and basically eliminating soft talk and negations, right? So anytime people are using soft talk in a meeting, they get called out by me or M or somebody else like soft talk, you know, that's all you got to say. And then they rephrase what they're saying. Like we might be able to, we should, could sort of maybe make it to the blah, blah, blah. Soft talk, please. What are we going to do? Yeah. When are we going to do it by, you know, so just solidifying the communication style is big. Um, You know, it's a slow indoctrination process. The only reason that I, uh, don't do soft talk because I hate the word soft talk. So I hear it all the goddamn time. <laughs> That's perfect. You don't want to be scolded for it. I like it. No, and, I know. And he likes to scold me the most. I believe it. We, we had, we had um, at one point, our entire staff went through vocabulary as well. And I've had Mark England on the podcast twice. I think it's a great course thing. It's a great way to develop communication cool. strategies amongst your staff. So what, I mean, what would you say now? is the purpose for your business? What, what is the purpose for life aid? What is it? What does it exist to do? Well, look, the big beverage companies in, in this country had gotten a free pass for over a hundred years, literally poisoning our kids with sugar water, artificial ingredients, food coloring, all the stuff that we know causes chronic inflammation, which is basically leading to every disease that we're suffering from today. You know, stems from chronic inflammation. That's no secret. Like, yeah, reverse engineer what people are dealing with, chronic inflammation and liquid sugar and liquid garbage has been a big contributor to that. So every person that we get to put down an energy drink or down a soda or down a quote unquote sports drink and pick up one of our products, we're forever changing their health trajectory, you know? And so we're very motivated by that. You know, we're motivated by that because we know we're making an impact on the world. I mean, you know, I was a chiropractor for 10 years. I was really damn good at what I did. You know, I'd say I was one of the, the best chiropractors, if not the best in, in definitely the county and, and probably the state. I could only work on so many people in a day. You know, I mean, you work on 40 people, I'm exhausted, put in a 10 hour day, and I've just had a major impact on 40 people's lives. But now we're having an impact on millions of people's lives, millions upon millions every day. We're, we're, we're literally what we're doing is creating a change in the marketplace. So now more and more companies are getting rid of sucralose and aspartame out of their products. They're getting rid of all these sodium hits. They're getting rid of the two servings per container bullshit, lack of transparency that they've gotten away with when everyone's you drink the whole thing in one sitting right they're getting rid of gratuitous amounts of sugar things are changing it's slow but we are i we are a catalyst for that change you know we were first and function forward and not just putting pixie dust but actually putting efficacious doses of of nutrients and vitamins 
in our products. So I think we've changed the landscape. We continue to change the landscape. We'll continue to push uh, uh, push that forward and, and hold more and more companies accountable as we as we continue to mold the criteria of purchase when you're putting something in your body. That's the external uh, purpose of the, of the company. And then, of course, internally, we want to help change the lives of all of our stakeholders and our stakeholders aren't just our shareholders. There are, there are team, there are suppliers, there are, uh, there are customers. Uh, um, we do a tremendous amount of work cultivating those relationships and, you know, uh, independent of what uh, our, our team look like, uh, it, it amazes me thinking about how many hundreds of people that are directly um, uh, or indirectly employed because of what we're doing. It's, it's quite a, neat uh, accomplishment and always puts a smile on my face. Did you see it going this way when you guys first got started? Were you like, you know what? We're going to start a, a, a beverage company that changes millions of people's lives. Was that the, was that the jump? I, I, yes. And uh, it was the perfect cocktail of uh, ignorance and ambition, I would say. <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, well, I'd say we are uh, industry outsiders, so we really didn't understand the tremendous amount of uh, marketing and econ- what exactly the economics would look like and how much we would have to push in terms of spend into um, the market. And then, you know, I'd say, you know, we, we both were uh, highly ambitious uh, individuals. That's where we uh, developed our friendship. Actually, we met in a CrossFit gym. And, I, you know, I think uh, anyone that's going through CrossFit uh, an hour every day is, you know, <laughs> ambitious. That's an ambitious, a small micro ambitious undertaking, you know. But, uh, yeah, if we, you know, that that's a pretty powerful combination. I mean, you if you don't know what you don't know, you can uh, run into something with eyes wide shut and actually come out successful on the other side. I like that. So they're more than ambitious CrossFitters are addicts. (laughs) I'll bet if you, I I, I have this theory that if you went through the familial bloodline of, of all CrossFitters, you're going to find a higher proportion of addicts than anything else. I know I have addicts, a lot of addiction in my family. You got to be an, an addict to put your body through that kind of pain and, and short-term suffering, uh, you know, knowing that it's going to come out the other side. And it's like, that makes great business people and entrepreneurs because it's that relentless pursuit. I mean, it's the stick to it. Fitness, you know, the thickness of skin, the, the, the willingness, resilience. the resilience, the willingness to burn the ships at the shore. I mean, most people just don't have the balls to do it. I mean, it is, <laughs> it's really not that smart. If you're just looking at it from kind of a, an accounting or, or legal perspective, like, what are you going to do? You're going to leave what and do what? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of, you know, mm-hmm. but that ability to take that risk, whether that's, you know, putting your name on the whiteboard and, and going out there and busting your ass and, and, and publicly displaying how fit you are in front of a, in front of an audience, or that's, you know, starting a business and putting your whole life savings into it and, and making a go at it. Like they both take a certain amount of, uh, of a crazy addicted personality to make that from, work from the moment you know the vision of we were gifted with the vision of life aid you know it felt like we just pulled it out of the collective consciousness of what people were doing and and the whole movement towards better for you products was at the very beginning of that and uh, that whole uh, aid versus you know aiding your health versus ADE, quenching your thirst, like every, everything made perfect uh, sense to us. And 90% of people thought we were absolutely crazy. But once uh, we kind of had the plan for the product and the, and the name and, and, and the logo, you know, it was very easy to um, kind of put things into motion by uh, making a declaration to your friends and your family saying, I'm going to do this. You know why? Because in the back of your mind, you're chicken shit and saying. I don't know that I'm going to do this, but I'm going to walk off this ledge. And quite frankly, I, you know, I couldn't have walked off that ledge uh, if it wasn't for my wife and if it wasn't for my business wife, Aaron. Mm. <laughs> Did you call me your business bitch? I think he called me his business. He calls his business. He calls his business wife. I don't know if that's the same, but but he definitely he definitely. I interpreted it. 
I wasn't going to say business husband. I promise you that. <laughs> so I, I, I have two more questions for you guys. And then I, I want to, uh, I, I know we started a little bit late and I, I want to let you go because I want to get you to your next meetings. The first question is you mentioned that you've taken private equity to help you build life aid. And one of the things that stands out to me about both of you is that you're clearly running a purpose driven business. It, it, I, I would never think that the goal is X amount of dollars at whatever stake necessary to earn the cash back for investors. If it was out of alignment with the purpose of the company, does that get, does that add an extra layer of complexity when you're deciding who you're willing to bring on for funding? Or is that something that, um, yeah, I mean, just, I don't, I've never brought funding. Totally. In, I'm curious about it. Well, I, 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 our primary investor, I mean, uh, he, uh, the fund is exclusively uh, his own money and he only invests companies that he thinks are going to make a difference uh, in the world. And so uh, it's absolutely crucial that whoever you bring on to the cap table is in alignment with your vision. I'd also like to say that, you know, Aaron, myself and our friends and family who came into the company, we, you know, we own a majority, a super majority of the company. And so, you know, we, we made sure to always be in control of the ship for the very, you know, control and decision uh, issues that you're kind of outlining there. But we've, we've, our investors are, are very much in line with, with uh, what we're doing. And, you know, as far as the quickest path to X amount of revenue, you know, we could have uh, created, you know, a pre-workout and filled it with tons of caffeine and made it sweet and maybe more appealing to the younger generation with sucralose. And, you know, there's, there's certain products out there uh, that we could have designed and put on into the market. And it could have been an additional injection of uh, revenue. And we purposefully decided uh, to stay within our guardrails and our core values. That we were begged to design, begged yeah. to design. Mostly because our sales, because they're just a bunch yeah. of whores. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have, I have a lot of respect and admiration for your, your steadfastness in the direction of your purpose. And just a, a quick question for you, because I'm not informed and I imagine that means some of the people listening aren't. What's the difference between a majority and a supermajority? Uh, well, percentage. I mean, if you look in terms of Congress, a supermajority is 66% or higher. So, you know, two, two thirds. Yeah. 66%. Yeah. My math is a little slow today. Perfect. And, and look, it's not just the, the private equity you need to be in alignment with. You need to be in alignment with even the investor that gives you a dollar because, you know, minority investors can be a complete pain in the ass and, and cause a lot of issues if you're not in alignment. So if you're taking outside capital, you need to be very clear and very much in alignment around the vision and expectations and, and just everything that comes with that. And it's a big responsibility because now it's like, at first we were just playing with our chips and we were playing with our chips and, and our family's chips. And it was our chips, our family's chips and our friends' chips. And, you know, as we play with more and more people's chips it's like okay we need to be very thoughtful about who these people are you know what what their expectations are and make sure that that alignment stays throughout you know because like you said if you had a private equity on that's just all about a quick flip and it's like you know push top line revenue and we need to flip this thing in three years. That's a very different approach than, Hey, we want to change the landscape of the beverage company and be here for the next hundred years and, you know, and, and, and elevate the whole game. Like those are totally different playbooks. Mm-hmm. We've always built the durable business and figured out the financing would come when, it, when it needed to come. Um, we, we were confident of that after I think the 11th or 12th time of almost going bankrupt. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> That's a story for another day. The last question I wanted to ask you is you talked about Ryan in a video that I saw the idea that really life aid is about taking big chances on yourself and having the faith that they're going to work out. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing and I hope that I'm not bastardizing too much, but what does that mean to you? I mean, Look, we live in a country, we're blessed to live uh, in a a country that isn't going to kick you out uh, and onto uh, the street or or have you as an indentured servant because you take on debt that you can't repay and be essentially enslaved. Uh, We we have rules and laws that uh, 
benefit the entrepreneur and individualism. And, you know, I'm a big believer in like taking a shot at yourself. We have the safety nets in place for you to be able to do that. So you definitely should uh, do that if you feel so compelled. People are betting all the time on, you know, whether it's through their 401k or their own Robinhood account on other companies and other teams and other products that they may or may not have experience with people they've never met before. They have no idea what the culture is, what the trajectory is, any of that kind of stuff. Yet we're handing over our money to them. Wouldn't you much rather invest in yourself and your own ideas and your own that way? There's no one to blame. Like that stock goes on. Oh man, they missed their numbers. The management team screwed up. You know, not my fault, but I lost money. You lose money when it's on you. There's only one place to look in the fucking mirror, you know? So a lot of people don't want to take that accountability on. They're afraid of it. Well, but I, one thing I say is by far, uh, you know, and I used to be a stockbroker and I'm definitely a hell of a lot better stock picker than Aaron, but the, the, the highest, I will agree with him. On that. The high, I sold Peloton at 17 bucks a share. I was like, damn, I'm the only one that in the whole world that's lost transformational that's lost on Peloton. fitness movement. And I do talk quite often about Peloton and the boatloads of money I've made in that stock, but even way better than Peloton is the return on investment that, you know, I've had uh, in any of my own businesses by, but by far, you know, life aid. Oh, I thought you were about to give a stock tip, but we're not publicly traded. So not yet. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Not, not yet. yet. No, I think uh, I was thinking about what would our, what would our um, ticker be? I'm thinking for party aid and then the AID paid. Do you think that would be a good stock ticker? I mean, yeah, I like that as a stock ticker. Yeah, that's that's really. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I just I, I want to make sure that I, I say this before you guys are done. For me, what about life aid in the AID, and it would be laid. I I was yes. That, okay, this is a PG show. That, that, that could work too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that could work. Sorry, go they're, ahead, Sean. they're both going to be good Regress. Google searches. Um, yeah. So you know the. I have three kids at home and, and for me, one of the biggest concerns that I have for my kids is when they go to school and other kids have food, let me rephrase, other kids have stuff that is supposed to be food that my kids then come home wanting and, you know, asking for. And when they have the money themselves or the autonomy themselves, not even the money, because my five-year-old's not going to have money for a while, right? But She's going to want things in school. One of my biggest concerns is them coming home with the kinds of products that you guys should replace. And knowing you and knowing the kind of people that you guys are, for me is refreshing because it's the kind of thing that we can confidently say, look, yeah, I can do my research into what they're doing in LifeAid. But at the end of the day, I look at the guys running the company and I'm confident that I can give this to my kid. And for me, that's a big deal. And I want to thank you guys for that. That means a lot. We appreciate it. And that's what we're here for. That's what it's all about. And, and we have uh, each two kids of our own. So we're very cognizant of that. The yeah. pendulum is swinging. You know, there's a lot of crap out there. I, I predict, you know, 50 years from now, we're going to realize that what we put in our bodies is a direct reflection in how we show up in the world, how we perform. And, you know, we're going to start treating our bodies like the temples that they are and, you know, really being conscious of, of what we consume both in food and beverage supplements, et cetera. And we're already seeing changes, you know, we're seeing the natural product movement, which was just a niche hippie movement that started in Santa Cruz back in the 1960s is now becoming mainstream. You know, all the category growth is around better for you, natural products. I mean, from I, I just think of all the products that I use from, you know, native deodorant to Dr. Brommer's toothpaste and soap to, you know, the, the drinks and food products and like everything. There's this movement that is not a little blimp on the radar. It's here to stay. And so I think, you know, with the kids, the more we can educate them and just say, look, I've got a sweet tooth. I, I love ice cream and, you know, I love pie and that kind of thing. And I know, and my wife reminds me, if I have too much of it, I feel like shit. It literally wipes my body out. Like it's worse than drinking too much for for me personally. And, you know, those little reminders, like I'm making a conscious decision. So arming people with the information and look, it's okay to, you know, 
have a scoop of ice cream once in a while. It's just don't eat it three times a day. Let's let's elevate ourselves. Let's increase the accountability and uh, and and vote with our wallet. At the well, end of the day, it's all economics. You know, we're voting with our wallets every single day. Consumers are demanding it and they're demanding it with their money. And I'll just give you, for instance, while we wrap up here is, you know, last year, Aaron and I were invited to speak at a um, at a, a conference at Nestle head, uh, USA headquarters. And, and the title of the conference is Food is, as Medicine. And you have the largest CPG country, uh, company in the on the globe focusing on the, that sort of initiative uh, be rapidly changing because it's not just the upstarts that are really pushing. Uh, it's the laggard, like big, you know, gigantic companies that are that are, are catching up here, I which is a great thing, you know, that we've helped change that conversation in our small way. Uh, you're going to see a lot of changes in the in the next uh, ten years. I love to hear that. Thank you guys. I appreciate the time you gave me today. Thanks, Sean. Nice Thanks. meeting you. Thanks, bud. Nice meet you too, Orion. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Active Life Podcast. If you did, please be sure to head to wherever you listened to it and give us a quality review, as well as five stars if you can spare them. If you want more from us, feel free to follow all of our social media accounts at Active Life Professional, Active Life Rx, and Dr. Sean Pastuch on Instagram. Remember, at Active Life, we believe that the healthcare clinic of the future is the gym. And the healthcare provider of the future is the coach. We also believe that that future is you.